Hello, and welcome back to the Court Sense Podcast. I'm your host, Brian McInnes, and today we're breaking out of the basketball mold for the first time in order to welcome in a Hawaii figurehead in another field of competition. NCAA fall sports, including two types of college football, gridiron and soccer, are under dire threat due to the rampant spread of the coronavirus this summer. UH soccer coach Michelle Nagamine comes on to talk about the toppling dominoes that have cast doubt on whether there will even be a 2020 season. What does she think will happen? She discusses her local upbringing playing the beautiful game, reminisces about playing with Brandy Chastain and watching her college teammates' iconic moment in the 1999 World Cup Final 10 years later. Coach Bud talks about the origin of her nickname and whether she thinks there will ever be another Natasha Kai to come out of Hawaii. Here we go. All right, today I'm being joined by Hawaii soccer head coach Michelle Nagamine, the reigning Big West coach of the year for their breakthrough 2019 season. We talked today in a moment of pretty high uncertainty across the college landscape, and especially for fall athletics, of which soccer is one of the primary fall sports. So uh, how are you doing today under this kind of backdrop of craziness going on across the uh, NCAA world right now? Well, it seems like every day when you think you are kind of getting a grip on exactly what's going on, something else happens and, you know, something pops up on Twitter or some kind of, you know, news feed and, uh, and, you know, with what all the different conferences across the country, you know, are, are doing. So we are, pretty much at the mercy of our opponents, I think at this point and, and how the uh, quarantine uh, rulings are, are going to be in effect moving forward, you know, and the policies that the, uh, the state implements. So we we're just, I think it, this is true of all sports. We are still once again, focusing on the things that we can control, which is prepping our team. Uh, we're prepping for the best and we're prepping for the worst. So we, we're really just kind of hanging in there every day. We had a big staff meeting yesterday uh, in the office. It was the first time our entire staff has been in one place um, in the same room, you know, versus on Zoom calls every week. So um, yeah, it's been, it's, it's a different normal, but um, we're adjusting. You know, we're, we're, we're trying to have the mentality that we have to be prepared for anything. And, and, and we're just going to keep doing what we're doing till they tell us not to do it anymore. Right. So some of the specifics that have, have, have happened over the last couple of days, the Ivy League has decided to put off all of its fall sports until the spring. Uh, maybe, you know, then in the spring, if things are better, the, the big 10, you know, one of the five yep. the, among the power five conferences, so one of the, the leagues that really kind of dictates a lot of the landscape for college athletics, they decided to go conference only in all their fall sports, football, you know, soccer, women's volleyball, et cetera, mm-hmm. um, which could, you know, potentially be a domino that the other power fives or, you know, it trickles down to everybody else maybe. So, I mean, just hearing those specific things in the last 48 hours or so as your you know, I know you're an optimistic person in general. <laughs> has, has that taken a hit at all? You know, are you kind of paying attention to those things or what was your reaction to those things? Yeah, you know, there's uh, there's optimistic, there's pessimistic, and then there's realistic. And and I think for me, uh, I'm choosing to, to be more of the realistic, you know, the realist at, at this point. Um, when, you, when you look at the big picture and you think about uh, lives, you know, are, are being affected, people are losing jobs, people are dying, you know, these are things that um, are, are massive, massive uh, problems that the, that the entire world has, not just our country, you know, so I think for, for us, making sure that we maintain that perspective of, um, you know, yes, everybody wants to compete, uh, we have to do the things that are, are right by our people, and, you know, follow the guidance that our administration is setting for us. So, you know, I think, when I look at it, it is what it is. And we have to just uh, understand that so much is out of our control that we just need to take what is given to us and make it the best, most positive experience that we can. If that means that we're going to have to be online, 
Um, if that means that we're going to lose our international kids because they can't get, can't get back into the country, you know, these are, these are things, um, that are really, really hard for competitive people to deal with. When you, when you are sports minded and you make your world is about competing, being told that you can't compete, um, is of course the most devastating blow that can happen. But then what do you do when you can't compete? How do you stay relevant? How do you maintain connections with people uh, because it's not like sports are going to be gone forever it's it's just what we're dealing with right now so it's it's tough i'm, I'm not gonna lie and, and it takes a lot every day to have to just you know deal with what we're dealing with but then we also try to add perspective to that. Well, what about all the healthcare workers and the people on the front line and the ones who are trying to find a vaccine? And you know, there, there are so many things that I think people forget about when you're just dealing with your own anguish and your own disappointment. And that's been a challenge. You know? So we've had many stimulating conversations with our team, uh, with all of the things that are going on in the world from Black Lives Matter to the pandemic. Um, conferences, you know, pretty much saying, hey, we're only going to play each other and everybody else is, you know, we're, we're losing our, our non-conference season. We're supposed to go to Texas A&M uh, and North Texas the second week of the season. So that's the last week of August. And, and I look at the schedule and I think, how is this happening? <laughs> how are we, how, it, what if there's still, you know, the, the, if the quarantine is going on, we're never going to go there and come back and then quarantine quarantine for two weeks. We could actually do it though, because we've lost our non-conference schedule. So, um, you know, aside from Utah Valley that we're, you know, we're trying to work out uh, deals with them to come in um, over Labor Day weekend. But I was like, if we're in quarantine, you know, would we even go on the trip, you know, and Texas is a hot spot. So these are things that are, are big, big questions that I think it's too early to answer at this point. But these are the things that are looming, you know, over over our heads. So it it sounds like at least you know talking from the realist standpoint that you you mentioned. I mean, there's a at least a significant chance that at least your non conference schedule just doesn't happen, or at least doesn't happen right. for all intents and purposes. Maybe one one opponent, like you were saying. Um, how about the you know the Big West? That there was already some chatter from like the Cal State system that you know they they were looking at taking a hard look at whether to, to play. And that was earlier this summer um, yeah. and what they were going to do as far as their, you know, in-person teaching, they were one of kind of the forerunners about that saying, I think they were, they were going to go away from that. So yeah. What's your feeling on, will you even have, you know, the big West season is obviously what matters um, for your, I mean, just what you guys strive for and you got your breakthrough getting to the big West tournament last year for the first time. Uh, what will that be like if the, what do you think as soon as next week, could you have some clarity on where that stands? Well, yeah, I think the uh, Cal State uh, University system is having a huge meeting. I don't know if it's just with uh, upper level administration or just the presidents, but I know there's something going on next week, Monday. uh, And I I believe some, some decisions will be made very shortly. Um, That's what I've heard from the, the people in the, you know, in my counterparts, you know, on, on the mainland. So uh, whatever is going to be talked about and decided at that meeting, I have no idea, but you don't have to be a genius, you know, or a, a fortune teller to, to be able, you know, to, to predict what they're going to be talking about when all of the news from the Ivy league and the, and the other, some of the power five conferences, the PAC 12 is considering, you know, doing the, doing the same thing. When you have 12 teams in your, in your conference um, or, you know, 10 teams in your conference, you, you could get away with just doing the the conference slate and getting a, a really good competitive schedule. Um, but, you know, for, for us in the big West, we still have to deal with those travel issues. We still have to deal with keeping our kids safe. We're not driving to California. We're not going to charter a boat to get us there. You know, we have to get on a plane and, and that is going to be a concern. So the number one question becomes, can we compete safely? And, uh, we don't even know if we can train safely yet. So, so you know what we're what we're doing is I think um, you know with Lynn Nakagawa being our head athletic trainer and our also our our trainer for soccer. You know, Lynn sits on a number of these committees for safety and returning returning to play. And 
you know, the number one thing is, can we keep the kids safe? And they seem to be doing a great job with getting kids back on campus, you know, going through a quarantine process, you know, football, uh, volleyball, basketball, women's basketball, uh, you know, has been going through it. Our kids are going to be coming in on the 22nd. So um, administration's been great about setting up accommodations, making sure that the communication is, is clear, um, that the kids are safe, you know, they have food that are provided for. So these are um, moving pieces that have never been dealt with before. So I really do have to give props to uh, our, our administration and to our coaches because it's a tremendous amount of work because now you're dealing with health and safety on a whole nother level than what we're used to. So um, yeah, it, it's going to be, I think, you know, I think we're going to have a lot more information next week as to how it affects us, because obviously if we go to just a conference only slate, then that still means we're going to have a hard time. You know, do we, if we're doing online classes, do we just go to the mainland and stay there? You know, in your own uh, little bubble or something. Yeah. And, and have our own little bubble and play there. I mean, that's something that I was thinking about this morning. You know, I, I was walking early this morning and I went down to China walls and I was just sitting on the rocks for a little bit because it was just so much, um, there's just so much unknown and that can be so unsettling for, for young people and especially our seniors. You know, when you look at Taylor, Christina, Izzy, these kids are such bright kids that who can graduate early. So if, if they compete in the fall, then they, they graduate in the, you know, in the, in December, you're talking about maybe, you know, a whole nother year that these kids have to put off their lives, not just one semester. So there's some big decisions I think that are going to have to be made, um, you know, in relation to how we travel and it's not just us, it's going to be the entire athletic department. So that's way above my pay grade. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You know, some of the decisions that are being made, you know, high up on the, uh, on the hierarchy of, you know, these college athletics programs. And when we saw Stanford just ax a bunch of its, sports and uh, a lot of Olympic sports. I mean, maybe at least most notably here in Hawaii, based on the sports that people pay attention to men's volleyball was cut stunningly. So uh, when you saw that, I mean, what, what did you think? Like it, Oh, I freaked out. I, I freaked out. I mean, how do you, how do you cut a national championship caliber sport? You know, like, how do you, I mean, that's, it's, it's hard enough to cut any sports as it is because of what they mean to their school and their, com- and their community. But, you know, when you look at the legacy of Stanford men's volleyball, um, the local players who have been represented on that team, you know, one of my former players, um, you know, Shana Kapaona from Kamehameha, she married Jordan Inafuku, you know, I mean, um, Brad Lawson, I used to coach his little sister, Amy, I mean, his uh, older sister, Amy. So, you know, it's like, there's so many, the Shoji kids, I mean, all these, you know, these names that just stand out over, you know, just in recent memory, um, it's just, it's shocking to me. But I was thinking maybe, you know, with the kind of um, reach that Stanford has, they have alums that step up and say, hey, you know what, we got this. (laughs) I don't know how that works and how many sports they could actually do that for. But um, it was a huge, huge surprise for me that that was one of the sports that was cut. Have there been any rumblings, you know, here that there's a possibility that some sports could get if things just don't come back, you know, as soon as football is obviously still a huge revenue driver and um, are are there fears, you know, among any of the coaches that, you know, that you guys have just talked amongst yourselves, like, yikes. I mean, it's not out of the realm of possibility. Well, you know, I hired a new assistant coach in March and she was like, uh, am I going to be okay? (laughs) And, you know, I mean, it's a very valid question because, you know, while Mark and I have been at university of Hawaii, nine years, you know, we're starting our 10th season, um, you know, in the fall, hopefully, um, Sonia was just hired in March. So she was, she was thinking like, wow, is this going to be, um, you know, something that I need to worry about. And, and I said, you know, obviously I cannot speak. There's only one person who speaks for the university and that's president Lassner. Um, and, and, what I can do is I can try to be proactive and make sure that we're doing all the right things as a program. Um, it's not like sports are going to go away forever, but there may be some concessions that we need to make 
uh, as a group, you know, and, and cut spending and cut, and, you know, just kind of get into survival mode where we're going with the very, very bare bones of, uh, and, and, you know, that's hard for, for us at UH because we already uh, fundraise a lot, you know, to supplement our athletic budget. Um, we know the struggles that have happened, um, you know, in all of the athletic departments, except for that very top few percentage that actually make money, um, you know, everybody else is losing money. So how are you justifying in the communities, um, you know, and staying relevant again? Um, so it's, we haven't had the, the talks. Uh, I think it's in the back of people's minds. Like, you know, that would be um, in, in to the layman, I think the easiest solution, oh, let's just cut sports. You know, but in, in the big picture of what that means to, to our state and the university, that, that's definitely not, in my opinion, the right move. Um, I think it's cutting off your nose to spite your face. I think if we make concessions, um, you know, in, in other areas, and, I, and I've had the talk with uh, uh, our higher ups, you know, just bouncing ideas and, you know, listening to, to what they have to say. And the message to, to us has been very consistent people should be the last thing to get cut. So it, it's, I think that's, that's the, the philosophy that our university is trying to incorporate. When you have a president like uh, President Lassner, who really, really cares about his people, and then, uh, but he has people that he has to answer to in the community. That's, it's, I can't imagine the stress that he and, you know, um, David Matlin have had to be going through, you know? So um, I've, I've made sure to tell my staff, hey, let's make one thing clear. We make people's lives and jobs easier, not harder. So you have a small mouth, you have big action and keep your head down and keep working hard and doing all the right things. Um, and hopefully, you know, we, we all get through this together. So, but there has been no talk to us um, about any of that, that kind of uh, th those personnel changes or anything like that. Well, that's, that's good, right? That's, uh, that's, that's all you could ask for right now with, all the craziness going on and um coach I'll I'll go back with you a little bit to you know 2019 season which was I mean we've already touched on the fact that it was a breakthrough for you and it came with its own unique set of challenges I mean you guys played a, a pretty tough non-conference schedule a couple tough road trips the, the losses had piled up a little bit right before uh conference play started you lost to Wazoo and UCLA at home you know obviously two very tough opponents how did things really kind of snap into place at the right time for you, for you guys to make that, that run? I think you guys ended up finishing four, one and, and three ties in big West play, which got you to the big West tournament. Four teams only qualify for the first time. Yeah. You know, that was just such a tremendous season. I, I think for, for all of us to be able to um, participate in that kind of, uh, that kind of experience, you know, um, it was just really, really special because of all the hard work that we had put in to kind of re refocus the team and, and get our, our, get all of us, you know, to the, to that next level. Um, we always tell the kids every year that training for conference is, is, and preparing for conference is our number one priority. So, you know, we try to schedule the most challenging non-conference slate that we can. Uh, and, and, you know, to see the, the progress, you know, when, when you're playing against some of the top teams in the country in USC and, um, you know, Washington state and, uh, and UCLA, those, those kinds of games are, you know, some, somebody had asked me like, why do you do that? <laughs> why do you, why do you schedule those kinds of games? And it's like, well, number one, it's the whole, uh, we have to, play who can pay mentality, right? The teams that who can afford to come to Hawaii are usually in, in the, the power five conferences, you know, where they, where money is not really an issue. So getting PAC 12 teams on the schedule is something that I think all of the, the UH teams have had to really focus on. I mean, look at the football schedule, you know, for, for this year and what could possibly happen with them. But for us to have so many teams, you know, end up in the, the elite eight that who were on our schedule, it was and final four. It was, it was a pretty special year. Um, so yeah, we, we took our lumps, you know, pretty early. We made some mistakes on the road that um, we, we then had the chance to go back and be better for. That was, I think the most, that was a, a huge, huge turning point for us 
um, to get through some of the uh, the overtime games that we did, you know, um, losing to North Dakota in, in over in double overtime, you know, that was a heartbreaker. Um, but I think when we when we look at how many games went to overtime this year and we still you know were able to come out on the on the positive end in most of the cases um that was huge for us um but yeah it's starting off conference with uh with three wins in a row and getting you know that home opener and the uh the game at riverside you know winning the first conference on the road that was massive for us and i think the kids just really uh embraced the timing of all of that well even the first conference game I think that was your first win in a conference opener uh, period I think home or away right Um, (laughs) I mean when you got that one beating Northridge I think here you know out at YPO soccer stadium did you allow yourself to think like wow maybe this is the year that we make it like just right off the bat right there no not at all did did not go there did not go there Uh, as a matter of fact we refuse to even talk about it, you know, and I, I think you, you interviewed me a couple of times during the season where I'm like, nope, we're just focusing on the one game that's in front of us. You know, we're not, people were like, wow, you're three and zero to start the conference and you know, this, and, and we, and we had pretty dominant performances, you know, that UC Irvine game was just phenomenal. You know, uh, Kayla, Kayla Watanabe, you know, coming through and having her breakout game, um, especially, you know, the, coming in as, as her first year of a rainbow as be, of being a rainbow wahine, but her last year as a collegiate soccer pro, uh, player, that was, that was massive. And, you know, winning in, in double overtime against, uh, I'm sorry, in overtime against um, CSUN, that was massive, you know, and Kayla Ryan, right. Was the, what uh, was the hero there. So I, I think having those, those games and then getting that, that win on the road at Riverside, um, Riverside is a really, really hard place to play, uh, you know, with a, a dark, it, the field, it was a night game and it was, uh, it's a dark field and it's so far away from everything. And um, just, I remember driving away from that stadium thinking, wow, I can't believe we just did what we did winning two zero against that kind of team at, at that field. I mean, it was, I think that's when I, I first started to think, wow, we're really in this. And then, you know, to follow up that game uh, at Fullerton and, and walk away from Fullerton with a tie, mm-hmm. um, you know, that was, that was, and, and having the opportunity to, to win the game in the closing moments, you know, that was, um, that was another, another game where I was like, wow, this is now really, we've gone through half, almost half the conference and, and we're three Oh and one. And, uh, and much, much different. But in the back of your mind, you're like, yeah, but you know, you still got the likes of uh, Long Beach, Cal Poly, Santa Barbara, you know, and I think uh, that, uh, that Cal Poly game, you know, again, to, to get a late goal to, to tie it in regulation, and then um, a real gritty performance by the team and Cal Poly was getting their momentum back. That was that was really, really a another game where so I, I kept counting like okay now we've got three games left and then you know we had that little bit of a brain fart against uh Santa Barbara and just not our best game um but then you see the resilience of of our team to be able to come back and win three to two under some pretty controversial um you know, situations and dealing with adversity, you know, Kelsey Sumita uh, getting the taken down hard and then getting a red card after that, um, you know, and then having to sit out the game at Long Beach and then having Morgan Meza, you know, uh, who is actually from Long Beach and played, you know, uh, for, for the Long Beach head coach, you get Morgan Meza, you know, tying the game up. I mean, ball goes in, comes out, and she smashes one from outside the the box. And it was just so dramatic. And I remember getting back to the hotel and being like, I'm exhausted. Like, I just don't, I can't, <laughs> I cannot, <laughs> I need to be away from I'm everybody. Exhausted. Right yeah, now, I'm exhausted. Know, yeah, it was just, I was mentally and physically drained, you know, and then we have to sit there and, and um, deal with, uh, okay, so now we've tied what's going to happen in the other games and, you know, blah, blah, blah. It was just, it was really, really, I, I remember sitting in the, uh, the Long Beach Marriott, um, you know, and, and 
I had the two screens going, you know, with both of the other games and we were trying to figure out what was going to happen. We were, we were thinking we, we should be in, but you know, we wouldn't even allow ourselves to think about being in until the final whistle blew and um, you know, having, we needed a tie, the team that we needed to tie was losing. Then they came back in dramatic fashion and tied it up. And so when the game ended, I text all the coaches. I'm like, downstairs now. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, you ended up getting the, the number four seed, I think, due to a series of tiebreakers. Um, like, yeah. like two through four were all tied. And just so yeah. happened you, you had to play the host team Fullerton in, the, yeah. you know, in that four-team tournament. Yeah. And they prevailed that time. But um, – what do you take away from that experience being in that game, that setting? And um, as you said, I mean, you had a number of breakthrough performances from players this year. Can you extract that, you know, given how weird this off season has been um, and who knows what's ahead? I mean, can you still take that experience like you normally would have be able to after a season and apply it to the following season? Yeah. You know, I think we kind of let, uh, it, it was hard to stay focused. We had been on the the road for, uh, over 10 days. And then by the time we got to, um, you know, our, our Fullerton game on that Thursday night, it had been uh, almost two weeks that we had been on the road and um, the stress of missed class time and just the elation. There were just so many emotions that were going through um, all of us, in, including the coaching staff. Um, and I think what we, what we will be better at next time is managing the, the team through that last couple of weeks um, to, to keep everybody focused and then to prepare for an opponent in, in, you know, three or four days um, who was on the rise. So now you get Fullerton who is the top team in the conference at home, um, you know, and peaking at the right time. And, you know, I think we were just kind of out of gas by the time we hit that Thursday game. So the, the good thing is that, even though we haven't had much of a spring season, we've been meeting with a team every week on Zoom and we've done a lot of leadership training and uh, communication visions, um, you know, just goal setting. So everybody is super, super hungry to, to get back to the Big West tournament and, and go further and deeper. So they, they fully want to be in that final game for sure. Coach, what do you say to uh... – you know, all the people who maybe don't realize, you know, what Big West soccer is all about. I mean, you were there from the transition from the WAC to the, the Big West uh, in 2012. That was your second season. And just, I mean, you, you mentioned you pretty much went down the entire list of conference opponents when you were describing your 2019 season and just how much of an ordeal kind of every matchup is, whether it's, you know, at some of those very tough places to play. And the Big West has been a multi-bid league as recently as a handful of years ago. Uh, maybe not as much the last few years, but um, actually, I take that back. I think there there was a year recently where it was a, a multi bid league, right? Um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But you know, just what, what's it like? I guess preparing for these teams, and now there's a couple more in Cal State Bakersfield and UC San Diego uh, that make up you know when your season really matters most, and and the pressure that that comes with those situations. Well. Um... Not a lot of people know this, but when I when I was first moving out of the private um, sector, you know, a lot of people thought that I was just coaching at Hawaii Pacific University, and that was my D Division Two full time job. And and actually, that was that's not true. I, I was a director of sports marketing and sales at Outrigger Hotels, mm -hmm. you know, for eleven years, and did part time work at in Division Two. So when Jim Donovan um, offered me the job, um, I, I actually said, well you know, let, let's talk about the details. And he goes, Oh, and by the way, we're joining the big West conference. And I'm like, wait a minute. When I applied, it was a whack job, a whack job. <laughs> so <laughs> go, go figure on that one. So it was, it, they were in the Western athletic conference. And then when I actually got offered the job, it was, you know, um, the big West. And I said, Whoa, 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 Whoa. These are two completely different conferences. Because at the time, when you looked at who was in the WAC, you know, UH had been competitive, you know, all, all along because the, the schools were funded the same way. They had, you know, they were in different locations that were similar to the challenges that we faced, you know, when you had LaTeX and Fresno and, um, you know, all the different schools that had been in, uh, you know, um, 
it, they have Nevada and uh, Utah State. So, you know, looking at the WAC, they, they pick us to finish, you know, last in the conference and we finished third. <laughs> so, you know, that the caliber of play, the WAC is a good conference, but it's still not as competitive as the big West, you know, with, with 32 different conferences across the country and the big West is consistently ranked 10 or 11, um, sometimes nine, nine, 10, 11, you know, now you're talking about the, the top third of all of the conferences in the country. And, and that's a big, big difference than, uh, you know, so I, I don't think people are fully aware of how competitive the, the Big West Conference is um, in soccer, but we love that. You know, we, we love the fact that we get all these California schools where that's our, our recruiting base. Um, it's easy to get to. We've, we've mastered the travel. Um, you know, now that Hawaiian Air has Long Beach Airport, it makes it even easier because we, we now get a chance to avoid LAX. Um, when we end on the road, uh, when we end our, our second, we start on the road this year and we go to Irvine, and then we go to Santa Barbara, and then we go to Cal Poly. So we have a three-game road trip to start conference play. We're going to fly into Long Beach and then um, and play Irvine, and then we go you know, to Santa Barbara, and then we're going to drive to Cal Poly and then drive up to San Jose and fly out of San Jose. So we're avoiding all the big, crazy airports, and um, you know, right now that's the plan. So... Hopefully it's you get be, to do that. Yeah, this is <laughs> hopefully this, it happens. I, yeah, we're we're keeping our fingers crossed. But you know, I think uh, if the people who are in the know know, and the people who are not in the know, we usually don't pay much attention to anyway because they're just talking out of their butt. So uh, we we are aware of uh, the competition that we have, um, the fact that they get to see these kids every week when, when the season is in, they drive down the road and there's 30 games going on, you know, at one time slot, it's a, it's a tremendous disadvantage, you know, for all of our sports um, at, at Hawaii, because we just don't get to see these kids as much as the other guys do. So we've got to be spot on in our recruiting, which is um, why we made Mark Fournier, our uh, recruiting coordinator. You know, we kept having this um, second assistant, you know, rotating because of the, the lack of uh, pay. And sometimes, you know, it's a, an entry level position. So um, with, uh, with that said, you know, we figured there's some continuity, you know, Mark just had his second son. Uh, so now he's a dad of two, married a local girl. He's, he's pretty set. So we, uh, it, it gives us an opportunity to have some consistency and to come up with a, a formula that is, you know, with our new compliance uh, system arms, where we've been, yeah, I mean, we got a kid from Iceland, we got a kid from Sweden this past year, and we locked him up during a pandemic. So um, zoo, we, we're zoomed out. <laughs> I can imagine. Um, well, Coach Nagamina, I think uh, a lot of people have probably heard over the years, you go by the nickname of Bud. And I was wondering if you could just share the origin of that nickname and, and when that started and, and just how that came about. <laughs> you know, a lot when people ask me that, I think they expect this very uh, dramatic tale, but it was actually, um, you know, I'm a child of the 80s, right? So um, Spicoli from, uh, from Fast Times at Ridgemont High, uh, you know, back in the day, the town and country was wildly popular because everybody was roller skating and skateboarding. And so I remember, uh, they had all these stickers that were like, hey, bud, hey, bud. And because of that Fast Times at Ridgemont High uh, skater dude character, um, hey, bud, let's party became really, you know, the popular saying in the 80s. And uh, so I remember I was like 13 or 14 years old, starting with the Leahi women's team. And I was so terrified because I was the youngest one. Nobody... Uh, there, the closest person in age to me was four or five years older than I was. And, uh, and then I couldn't remember anybody's name because I was so scared and I was very shy. I think that's the last time in my that life. That is impossible. I yeah. I, that's the last time in my life I was shy, but, uh, these Leahi women, they were the, uh, this was the upper echelon of, of soccer in Hawaii. And I was a part of it when I was very young and I couldn't remember anybody's name. So I just called everybody bud and then it, it actually stuck. So um, they started calling me bud back and I was like, that's weird. But um, yeah. So my, whenever people would call the house, 
prior to cell phone days, my mom would know that if it was Nemers, that was a Kamehameha person because that was my nickname at Kamehameha. Then Bud was from Leahi, and then Bonsai was my Santa Clara nickname. <laughs> so, so I also have Bonsai on my college diploma. It says Michelle Auli'i Bonsai Nagamine. My professors at Santa Clara called me Bonsai, so I guess I'm just uh, a nickname kind of person. So Bud, Bud did not endure to your Santa Clara college playing days? No, it did not. But the interesting thing is now that everybody calls me Coach Bud, a lot of my college friends have started to call me Bud if they have kids who are playing soccer. So it's really weird. But nobody calls me Michelle. It's weird. <laughs> I, I don't know who that is. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so you excel at, you know, you play up through Kamehameha uh, from your youth days all the way through your Kamehameha baby, if you will. And you took that and went off to Santa Clara, like we just said. Uh, I think we're a captain on the 1989 Santa Clara Broncos team that reached the NCAA semifinals, if I did my research correctly. Yep. Um, what do you remember from that experience? I mean, just the kind of team you had. And um, obviously, you were a captain, so you were uh, considered a leader on that group. Yeah, you know, um, Brandy Chastain was our, our marquee player that year. You know, she had uh, transferred from Cal. And uh, at her freshman year at Cal, she was a, um, a freshman, all, freshman of the year for the, the country. And uh, she ended up transferring in. Uh, in the spring, I think my junior year. So we played together for a year. We had played club together up there as well. So um, when Brandy moved over, it really kind of uh, established our program as this, you know, contender, so to speak. And um, we we had a great group, you know, Michelle Myers, who was a longtime LMU coach, um, just a lot of really good, good people who are now still, you know, coaching in the, in the women's game. Um, but being able to see how a program was built and, you know, being a local girl from Hawaii and, you know, I was supposed to go to university of Portland on a massive, you know, uh, scholarship. Um, I, I changed my mind at the last minute, you know, because my college counselor, um, Myron Arakawa, who just retired from, from Punahou after, I don't know how many years of college, uh, you know, advising. Um, he's like, I think you would really like this school. And, you know, I, when I reached out, they had seen me play at a mainland tournament and, you know, getting to the mainland and being able to go through that and see how a program was built um, just on uh, honestly sheer determination. When we got to the final four that year, um, we had NC State, Colorado College and University of North Carolina, all fully funded programs. And I believe at Santa Clara that year, we were at about two scholarships. And uh, when you have Brandy Chastain on your team, you know, the lion's share is not going to you, <laughs> you know? So yeah, getting to the final four and being able to see um, what you can do with, with a smaller budget and not, you know, it was, it really did set my mentality and, and help shape my coaching philosophy, you know, that, that's still being um, influencing me every single day after all of these years. So um, getting to a final four and not a lot of people can say they did that. And um, I'm, I'm very proud of the fact that we're, we're building towards, um, you know, I see a lot of similarities. So we're building towards that kind of uh, um, dreams for our, our kids. Now they're talking about not just making the big West tournament, but they want to go to the NCAA and they know the only way to do that is to win the conference. So it's a, uh, yeah, it has taken it taken a while, but I, I did did try to tell Jim Donovan, uh, you know, without any Division One experience, it's going to take us a while to get our bearings. Uh, I wish I was a I wish I was more coachable though. <laughs> hey, so what was it like for you when Brandy Chastain had that indelible moment, you know, with the penalty kick and the the slide and everything like that? Do you remember where you were when you saw that? Oh yeah, I was I was watching on on TV and I I could not. I was like, it was so surreal for me because I was supposed to be at the final, but I, um, I had to, I went to some of the earlier games and then came home. Um, but, you know, watching that on, on TV and it was, it was really weird for me because uh, major chicken skin, because I knew a lot of the play. I have personal friends who have been on that team um, and, and being able to, you know, see them achieve what they did. And then having it come down to Brandy and that final penalty kick. And, you know, she is 
one of the most competitive, intense people I've known. And I, I love her to death. Uh, but, you know, knowing that um, she had had so many knee injuries and to see all the adversity that she had to deal with, missing penalty kicks in earlier games, uh, you know, and then taking it with her left foot, you know, to uh, after and then, you know, against one of the best keepers in the world at the time for China. So, I mean, it was just it was so amazing to me um, to, to watch somebody that I actually knew doing this. And then the iconic moment that it became, not just in, in women's sports history, but in sports history, period. Um, the, 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 you know, the sports bra, the flexing, you know, after the, uh, the, the goal, I mean, I cried, I cried and cried and cried because it was just so surreal to me. Sure. And, yeah, I had no idea you were teammates with her, so that was that's pretty cool. Um, well, you after you got back from Santa Clara, did you come home right away? And I know you started coaching Kamehameha within just a couple of years from that, right? Like 91, mm -hmm. you started a long tenure, 16 years or so, coaching high school soccer at Kamehameha, won like five state championships over that time, uh, turned into a real, you know, powerhouse type of program that was reliably – you know, in the state tournament, competing for that title every year. How, how did you know, like, how did you fall into that coaching them? Just, you know, you were in your mid twenties, I guess, at the time. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I, when I came back from Santa Clara, I had a better job offer, uh, you know, and, and when I moved back home for, for data house, uh, we started to, you know, I got a call from uh, Dale Bordner, who is a, a local realtor here. And uh, she was the president of Leahi Soccer Club. And she's like, hey, we, we really need a coach for our U17 girls team. And I was like, uh, I'm 21. <laughs> like, do you really think that's a good idea? Because <laughs> I'm not much older than these kids. And she's like, no, no, no. With your experience, you know, you're going to be great. I was like, um, I don't have any coaching experience. She said, no, but you, you played at the highest level and they're going to really respond to you. And, um, you know, so I started coaching in Leahi back, you know, well, geez, that was like 1990. Um, and then, uh, through some of my contacts in, in HISA and, and, and youth soccer, um, they asked me if I wanted to volunteer at Kamehameha. And then, and so I did, uh, but I could rarely go out um, because I had just started a new job and I, I was not able to make all the trainings. Um, you know, I was, uh, and then I had just started my soccer store. So I was with um, Data House for a little over a year. Um, and then I started my retail soccer store, Soccerama. And so I was 22 when, when I started my business. And uh, um, we opened our doors in February of, of 1992. So just, you know, pretty much two, two and a half years out of college, uh, most of my friends were fooling around. And I was, uh, you know, backpacking everywhere, traveling. And I was working a lot and, uh, and building my business. So I didn't have much time to coach. But then the, the head coach got fired. Um, or actually, I'm, yeah, the, the, the story was that there was a coaching change. And uh, Irv Cow, the AD at uh, Kamehameha at the time, called me and said, hey, uh, I think you should coach our team. I was like, are you crazy? <laughs> experience and he's like nah you know what I'm just gonna I'm gonna throw you in the deep end of the pool and I said uh he goes you can swim right <laughs> it's like yeah I can swim I used to be a competitive swimmer I can swim and he's like don't worry I'll have the life preserver I'll hold on to it if you need it but you'll be fine so yeah Irv uh, basically asked me if I wanted to to be the head coach and then I, I accepted the job with zero head coaching experience so I guess that's kind of my my mo that's right. You've been learn as we go. <laughs> dunking yourself in the deep end of the pool on a number of that's, levels. That's right. But you know, I think the uh, the 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 passion and and, and being coachable and, um, and and genuinely caring. You know, I think those are things that have taught me. You know that to to value the the most important things, which are the little things, and. Um, you know, with, with UH, it was a very, very, um, Jim Donovan told me, you know, it's not, not just about experience. It comes down to passion and, and vision. And so, um, the, the, I try to remember that every day, you know, and I, I still 
get cryptic texts from Jim every now and then, you know, he's, uh, he's been a tremendous mentor for me. Um, I, I feel blessed to have worked with many different people. And, you know, David Matlin is just a fantastic boss. Uh, ben Jay and I were just texting the other day when he's, he's now back in the big West. So, you know, it's, it's been, I feel fortunate that we've had, um, a chance to be that I've had a chance to be mentored and, and guided by, you know, a lot of really great people. You know, and I would be remiss if I didn't ask you about one in particular who uh, sadly recently passed and that's um, Hawaii's Mr. Soccer, Jack Sullivan. Uh, that you know, was, he was one of my biggest fans. And that was, I think the hardest part is not being able to send uncle Jack off on the uh, note that he really deserved to to go out on. And I'm hoping that when all of this craziness is done, we can have a massive celebration of life. I mean, what a what an amazing man. And I, I just feel so blessed. And I'm so grateful that he took the time to, to care so much about our soccer community. So, you know, it, he was instrumental in getting our, uh, in getting soccer starting in, in Hawaii, but getting the Rainbow Wahine soccer team going, you know, that was a, a huge, huge undertaking. And there were lots of people who, who were involved, but, you know, he really uh, stands out in my mind as that, uh, that person who would do anything to get the job done. So I, I want to make sure we, I will be, uh, if we're actually able to have a, a season, he's going to have a little chair. You know, he used to sit at the end of our bench. Uh -huh. So yeah, we're going to make sure that we have a, a chair for Uncle Jack set up uh, at the end of the bench. You know, a lot of times I'd be in the press box out there at YPO and, and there would come Jack Sullivan in through the side door and be like, hey, Red, you got a, <laughs> uh, you got a lineup sheet for me? Something like that, you know, and uh, yeah, I'll miss that guy. He, he was, uh, he was great. You know, he still, when he was, gosh, still coming out to games within a couple years ago, he had just like the most like vice-like handshake. I'll remember that. Like oh, even at his, absolutely. you know. Yeah. Absolutely. I know. And uh, uh, rumor was you're taking over as the leprechaun for uh, <laughs> I, St. Patty's Day. It's, uh, I guess he, he held that position for a long time, maybe. So, he did. You know, I guess I, um, that's going to be the next gig. I may have to step up. I may have to step up. <laughs> but, Coach, one or two more and I'll let you go. Um, you know, you mentioned how he started, helped start the Wahine soccer program. I think 94 was the first year of official competition. Yeah. Obviously you went to college before that. Do you think, would you have considered Hawaii as a place to go for college if, if the program had existed at the time? Oh, I, I definitely would have considered it. Um, I, I think, you know, coming out of high school and, and being able to, and I think now that I know what, playing at University of Hawaii can mean for a local girl. Um, I, I think I would have just eaten it up to, to be able to play in front of my family and friends. Because uh, remember, back in the day, it was hard to get to the mainland. <laughs> you know, you couldn't just, like, everybody's so used to just flying. But before, it was, it was a, lot more, a lot more moving pieces, you know. So um, people weren't just used to, you know, we were hopping on planes left and right, you know. But... Um, but to actually be able to take off work and, you know, and, and get to the, to the mainland, it was, it was hard for my parents. So um, I, I think I would have really, really embraced uh, trying to, to elevate the program and be, um, be that local girl. You know, if you look at the, the history of our program, the local girls are the, the marquee players on our, of our program. They're the ones that people are remembering. They're the ones that are that the fans are flocking to the field for, um, but, you know, the, in, in recent years, you look at like a Christina Drassus, you look at like an Alexis Mata, Monk Burger, you know, these, these kids were um, adored by the local community. So, you know, it's, it's pretty cool to, to have that blend of mainland and local girl. Um, but, you know, I, I would have definitely, definitely considered staying home. Well, and had a lot less college debt, I bet. <laughs> <laughs> the the program, you know, boasts an Olympic gold medalist in Natasha Kai, obviously, and she was competing in the WAC, you know, in her seasons in the, those early mid two thousands, racking up goals like nobody else. I, obviously, you have you know a rapport with her uh, from your time in the program and and just in the soccer community in general. Will there ever be like a player of her caliber coming out of? the islands do you think 
I, I believe that Natasha was in a very, very special category because of her athleticism and, uh, and her ferocity. Um, you know, some people say intensity, ferocity is beyond intense. <laughs> and, you know, she's, she's a fierce woman. And, uh, I, I think there is, it, it's going to be hard to match, you know, that, that kind of uh, career that Tosh had, but there's also a lot to be said for the development that's happening. You know, Natasha was from the North shore. She was, uh, a little bit of a late bloomer, you know, in the soccer sense. Um, and what she achieved was on a whole nother level because of the, um, everything that was so intrinsic in her, you know, and, and just, um, and I think had she had some of the benefits of the development that happened, you know, that's happening now in a lot of these younger players, I think that the, the future is very, very bright. You know, Tasha was a multi-sport athlete, so she spread herself over lots of different sports. Um, she, there was nothing that she couldn't do. And, and I think with the kids specializing at an earlier age and the technical ability and the, the development, the savviness of, uh, of their, their tactical understanding of the game, you know, all of that stuff are things that Tasha didn't really have when she was growing up because the game wasn't as evolved. So I think, you know, while, while she achieved so much just on pure natural talent, I think had she had, if, if you could take Natasha and who she is and plug her into like a U11 program now, who, now you're talking about being able to to do something on a entirely, and she's already achieved so much. Um, but it's just, yeah, I think uh, I see the kids out at YPO. I see some of the the things that are happening in the youth leagues. It's th there are some kids coming up who are going to do some very special things. And on that note, I mean, if you do get to play this coming 2020 season, you know, which ordinarily would begin next month. Gosh, I mean, it would be kind of right around the corner. Um, you know, what would be your outlook to the, those games to that season based on what you got coming back? Obviously, you lost, you know, your all-conference goalkeeper and Alexis Mata, but you had other players step forward last season, like you mentioned, Kayla Ryan, Kelsey Sumida, uh, Eliza Amendolia, players like that. So what do you think could happen if you guys are actually able to get on the field? And I think uh, our future is is extremely exciting and bright. To, to see the, the young talent we have. We, we have three seniors this year. Um, you know, we've had some personnel changes. Uh, we've had uh, a couple people leave the program, um, some by choice, some not by choice. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we, we've had some, some changes, but what, what I've learned in the last year is that our culture is very, very strong. We have kids who want to compete. We have kids who want to win. We have kids who want to take their role as a student athlete at University of Hawaii very, very seriously. So we are closer than ever. We are all on the same page. We all have the same vision and we're working very hard to protect it. So if we get on the field this year, uh, barring any kind of immigration issues that we might have with our international student athletes, if we can get Eliza back, if we can get Hattler from Iceland and Julia from Sweden in, uh, we're going to be sitting in a really, really great position to compete because this group is talented and they're hungry. And I think they're looking forward to carrying on the tradition that, you know, all the rainbow wahine um, all over all these years ha have done, you know, work hard, compete, don't complain uh, and fight till the, till the end. So they, they're really excited. And I'm, I'm really excited about this group. And I just hope that that Hawaii has a chance to see what they can do. All right. Thanks a lot, coach Michelle. All right. Bud thanks, it was a pleasure. It was a pleasure seeing your bright, smiling face again.